earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me today. Whether you're in your car, listening on one of your mobile devices, or even catching the podcast. Today is the fourth and final installment in our February series, Re-Evaluating Our Pursuits. And today, I've chosen to conclude with a somewhat elusive, sometimes baffling subject, but nonetheless a significant subject, that is prayer. This is our word for today. Now, please don't change the station. I can imagine what's going through your mind because it has gone through my mind as well. Oh, no, another guilt-producing lesson on prayer. I certainly don't want you to think that today's teaching will just make you feel guilty. I promise you it will not. In fact, I promise that today's finale will actually offer us all some handles on prayer that will be very useful. Plus, I'm not suggesting that my treatment of prayer is exhaustive or even the final word on the subject. Consider this a helpful tutorial. Well, let's begin by being honest, up front, okay? I dare say that we've all, at one time or another, prayed a prayer just like this. Uh, Lord, thanks for this day, and uh, forgive me for all my sins, Lord, and uh, help me to get that job, Lord, uh, if it's your will, of course, and uh, please help John's cold to get better, and Lord, help me not to catch it, and uh, oh yeah, bless all the missionaries, Lord, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Sound familiar? Well, as promised, let's take a guilt-free look at prayer with our starting point, a prayer in Scripture that I hope will provide some handles that we can all grab onto to help shape our prayer life and give it a backbone we've actually desired it to have. And let me just begin by saying that both our Old Testament and New Testament words for prayer are full-orbed. In other words, they encompass a lot like praying, interceding, petitioning, intervening, entreating, urgently appealing, supplications, beseeching, wishing, making our requests known, agreeing with, etc., etc. And as a general rule, the most common assumption and understanding in Scripture regarding prayer is that it is fundamentally interacting with God by switching human wishes for God's wishes as he imparts faith to us. In addition, at times it seems that it's not so much the content of our prayers, but the goal or aim of our prayers, and yet the content of our prayers are important to the Lord. 
Well, friends, the prayer I want us to look at is probably the most familiar prayer in all the Bible, and I'll bet many of us have memorized it. It's often called the Lord's Prayer, and it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. But I'd first like us to observe how important and significant the four verses leading up to the prayer are, because they enlighten us to three attitudes we should have before we even begin to pray. Matthew 6, 5 through 8 say, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. And of course, we all know who Jesus is referring to here, right? The Pharisees. The verse goes on, Truly I tell you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The first thing I want us to observe is that the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is sandwiched between chapters 5 and 7. Chapters 5 through 7 record Jesus' teaching, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 introduces a string of phrases beginning with the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, etc. As westernized believers, we tend to think that blessed is akin to us receiving some kind of blessing from God. But this is not really the understanding people in the first century had. And Jesus was not identifying something we get but rather identifying a condition of our soul that already exists. And what already existed was a unique oneness with God because we are in a relationship with him. This state of bliss exists regardless of our human condition, a state the Jewish religious leaders at the time were clueless about. Because they looked down on and scorned the poor around them. They thought they were better. So, friends, in the preamble to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verses 5, pictures first and foremost an attitude of sincerity. It says, you shall not be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite originated with the Greek plays. It's a theatrical term. It refers to an actor who uses masks to portray a character. Today, it's best described someone who is two-faced, who puts on a mask, hides their real self. You know, acts one way outwardly, but inwardly is something else. We also use the word pharisaical to mean the same thing. An attitude of sincerity helps us stay real, not only before God, but before others. This reminded me of Luke 18 and the Pharisee and the tax collector, which says, To some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breasts and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus remarked, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, the Pharisees' prayer revealed insincerity. Looking down on others reveals insincerity. So let's be sincere, transparent, and not hypocritical in our prayers. The second attitude I see in these verses leading up to the Lord's Prayer is an attitude of submissiveness. Notice in verse 6, our prayers are to be without fanfare, without outward show, but humble. The picture painted here is praying in secret, trusting totally that God who sees your secret prayer will reward you. Finally, the third attitude I noticed is an attitude of straightforwardness. Notice verse 7. Our prayers are to be honest, having meaning. If they are meaningless to us, why should they be meaningful to God? One translation says, do not use meaningless repetition. Remember my opening fake prayer? That mishmash of disjointed phrases? No forethought, no depth, no attempt at real communion with God? Just an exercise to fulfill a duty and get it over with. Luke records a condensed version of this prayer in Luke 11. There the prayer begins, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, etc. We might think that we should say these actual words. Growing up in a mainstream denomination, I, in fact, did this, prayed this prayer verbatim every Sunday. There's nothing wrong with praying these words, as long as we realize Jesus' intent here went much deeper. The word say in our English Bibles is a multifaceted word with a lot of meaning in the original language. It contains the idea of uttering definite words that are connected and have significance, words that are collected and organized into a whole. John Bunyan said, let your heart be without words rather than your words be without heart. Now, friends, I'm sure you're all familiar with Legos, right? Because the Greek word used by Luke in the Lord's Prayer is this word, Lego. With Legos, you lay them out in front of you in an organized way and build something with them. Isn't this just like praying? We lay out our words before God in an organized way and build a prayer. In the process, we also build a relationship. We shouldn't rush through it simply to fulfill an obligation. Have you heard of the store called Build-A-Bear? I think it would be cool to have a store called Build-A-Prayer. A trained employee could give a, guide us through a trail where we put building blocks together to create a prayer at the end and then take it home. Just kidding, but that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Friends, I'd like us to see that the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is first a prayer with a pattern. It has structure. It's organized and thoughtful by someone who intends to pray. My take on this is that Jesus' objective here was to show us a life-giving pattern for intimate communion with God. 
Each phrase is an invitation to be specific and personal. A youth once approached her Sunday school teacher asking, how can I have a deeper prayer life? The teacher replied, say the Lord's Prayer. Then after a pause added, but take an hour to say it. Seen as a blueprint or a template for our prayers, notice that this prayer begins appropriately with praise, including recognizing God's holiness. In there, goes on to acknowledge submission to God's will. Then follows several personal petitions and finally closes with praise again. Friends, the Lord's Prayer is not only a prayer with a pattern, but a prayer with priorities. Its pattern is not haphazard, but formed with a purpose in mind. Interestingly, just 20 verses later in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, friends, I believe the goal of the Lord's Prayer is to teach us to first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then our other basic needs will be added. The body of the Lord's Prayer basically outlines six petitions. The first three focus on God and honoring him as our first priority. The last three spotlight our needs. Then the prayer closes with praise as it opened, like bookends. A message on a church sign once said, If God gave us the same priority we give him, would we be saved? The body of the Lord's Prayer also illuminates us to just how it is a prayer with priorities. The first word in this prayer is our. In verse 9, unlike the Beatles song, I, me, me, mine. The command The communal aspect of this prayer is then reinforced by the repetition of us in verses 11, 12, and 13. And so our and us right at the outset make us conscious that first we are not to be selfish. Instead, recognize we are a vital part of a community, a commune, if you will, to borrow from the 1960s. The church is a worshiping community and a governing community. We are not just a coalition of loose cannons. John Wesley once remarked, Christianity is essentially a social religion, and to turn it into a solitary one is indeed to destroy it. A radio teacher I admire commented that what we need to bring back is real fellowship, not people bouncing off one another like marbles in a cathedral. I think Apostle Paul captured this idea in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Perhaps you may recall a way back when, when former President Bill Clinton spoke to some 4,000 pastors at Willow Creek Church, invited by Pastor Bill Hybels. During the Q&A session, Hybels kept trying to get Clinton to see that his sin affected his family, his cabinet, and ultimately the country. But Clinton kept focusing on how the scandal and its aftermath affected him personally. 
In today's culture, all too often, individual fulfillment is emphasized. All that matters is that individuals find themselves. You see, friends, priority living for Christ followers means being others-centered and resisting our natural tendency to be self-centered or selfish. As a prayer with priorities, the Lord's Prayer continues to teach us, first, we are not to be selfish. Second, in 6.9, we are not to be sinful. Hallowed be your name. This can be worded, may your name be holy. Now, that's a quirky way to say something, isn't it? It's like saying, may the circle be round, or may the square have four sides. My take is that Jesus' intent is to get us to recognize and treat God's name is holy. We all know God is innately holy. Nothing we can say or do will ever change that. But perhaps consciously recognizing and consciously treating God's name as holy will have the beneficial effect that leads us to consider the question, are there things in our lives that dishonor God and not bring glory to him? How about do we live in a way that through us God inspires others to reverence him? By acknowledging God is holy, we actually challenge ourselves to be holy. Third, we are not to be slothful. In other words, idle or lazy. Verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We would do well, friends, to occasionally take stock and ask, Is God's kingdom and his concerns our priority? The Apostle Peter makes a somewhat mystifying statement in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, okay, here it comes, friends. What sort of people ought we be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Whoa, wait a minute here, Peter. Are you trying to tell me that I can live in such a way that I can hasten the coming of the Lord? The answer may be yes, friends. Fourth, we are not to be sullen. In other words, dismal or gloomy. Verse 11 has the petition, give us this day our daily bread. Friends, you and I have come to know God as our provider, Jehovah Jireh, right? Actually, it should be Yahweh Yireh as the Hebrew expresses it. Haven't we all found that God not only provides for us, but he also provides through us? So the questions we might consider could be, are we vessels God can use? What does trusting in God's provision say to others around us? Recognizing our daily dependence on God also happens to teach us compassion for the poor. Fifth, we are not to be stubborn. In other words, resistant. Verse 12 tells us, Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. Listen, friends, only the forgiving are forgiven. Sorry, I can't candy coat this truth. Forgiveness in this prayer is not the forgiveness that once led us to salvation, but the forgiveness that must occur between each of us relationally in the church. 
You see, friends, the Lord's Prayer is not only a prayer with a pattern and a prayer with a priorities, but it is a prayer with a price. Isn't it interesting that of all the statements in this prayer, forgiveness is the only matter Jesus refers back to and reinforces the truth of it in verses 14 and 15. Unforgiveness comes with a price. If we want mercy from God, we must show mercy to our brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's not a suggestion. Just one chapter before the Lord's Prayer in chapter 5, one of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This reminded me of Micah 5.8. He has shown you, O man, or O woman, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. James 2.13 says, Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Friends, please don't get out of your car. Don't get out of your seat if you are harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards someone. Repent and confess it to God immediately and reconcile with the other person. Please, friends, do not leave a trail of unreconciled relationships in your wake. Don't let them follow you to the grave. How will we ever lead unbelievers to be reconciled to God if we can't live in reconciled relationships with our brothers and sisters? As a prayer with a price, the Lord's Prayer tells us that we are not to be sidetracked. Verse 13 says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation sidetrack us. Let's take our cue from Hebrews 12.1, friends. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God promises to provide a way out for us. Memorize 1 Corinthians 10.13. Are we looking for that way out? As a prayer with a price, the Lord's Prayer finally tells us that we are not to be short-sighted. Verse 13 also says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So are we fixing our eyes on Jesus or are we being drawn to the gratifications of the moment? Proverbs 4.25 says, Let your eyes look directly ahead and your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your feet from evil. Perhaps a fitting close would be to remind us where we began. We began with, you are not to be like the hypocrites. In every way possible, the Lord's Prayer takes us on a journey, bidding us to be sincere, submissive, and straightforward in our walk with God. 
So, friends, after this program, why not spend a couple of minutes in prayer and be sure that you are living a reconciled life with God and with others? Let the Holy Spirit reveal this to you. Amen. Adopt the mindset of the psalmist in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any hurtful or wicked or offensive way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Well, friends, we've come to the end of today's program. I hope it has been both edifying and challenging. In this February series, we've unpacked being people who pursue purpose, passion, and right prerogatives. And we've unpacked being people who pursue purity. And finally, today, we've unpacked being people who pursue prayer. It would be my honor to be praying for you as well as we all reevaluate our pursuits and pursue a guilt-free life of prayer. Today's broadcast will close out with an email where you may write me. You may also contact me to learn how you can financially help this listener-supported program. Listeners like you keep this program on the air. Won't you consider joining a Word from the Words support team? I'd be truly grateful. Thanks for listening today, friends. And please remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Dot com.